morning. Hey, so we're in this season where we've challenged you to count your blessings for a very specific reason. It's not to take inventory of what you have, but really think about who's given it to you. And we've been saying this, when you count your blessings, when we count our blessings, we remember that we can always count on God. I think every day of your life, I believe God has a to-do list, an agenda with you. Yes, God has an agenda with you. And it's to build trust that you can count on him no matter what. And the reason you need to know that is not when you have a long list of things to say, hashtag blessed, I'm really thankful for this, but on those days where all of a sudden it feels like life may be kind of going against you. So we're in this series called Blessed and talking about what does it mean actually to be blessed? What do words, when it's used in the Bible, blessed, blessed, blessing, what does that mean? Because usually when it shows up in life, especially on social media, it's usually... For me, it would be my toes are in the sand on a beach, seeing the ocean, there's palm trees, and man, things are really, really good, and I kind of hashtag that blessed. Well, what about those days where my feet are in the sand, but it's in the desert? <laughs> or worse, I'm camping. Like, like, on those days, like, what is it? What is it? Like, what, do you, what about when someone's, like, judging you or coming against you because of what you believe? What about when someone wrongs you and you've got to forgive them? This word blessed is really interesting, and sometimes I think we use it, and we don't fully understand it. I think sometimes we misuse it, misunderstand it, but I think it's so critical to understand it. And and, and I don't mean to make you second guess every time you use the word. It can be a synonym for gratitude. That's okay. But I think it's more. And sometimes when I think people use it, I'm reminded of Inigo Montoya from The Princess Bride. You keep using that word. I do not think it means what you think it means. I think it means so much more. And understanding this is critical. It's used as a variation in, 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 throughout the Bible. The Bible's really 66 books in one in two parts. The Old Testament before Jesus and then Jesus and, and the early followers of Jesus. 66 books. Typically the New Testament's in Greek, the Old Testament's in Hebrew. But there's Aramaic kind of sprinkled in there. All three languages, it talks about this idea of being blessed. Almost every book mentions being blessed or kind of tells part of the one big story that God is telling. This is really one book, even though it's 66, it's the story of God. And the good news is it includes you. But when it talks about blessed, when it shows up, you go, I don't think it means what you think it means. What does it mean? Jesus used the word and he used it a lot. As a matter of fact, what we talked about in Jesus' longest recorded sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, he gives a list where he says, blessed, 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 again and again. And it's this list. Poor in spirit, describing somebody who's poor in spirit, who mourns, who's meek, who hunger and thirst for righteousness, which means they're not satisfied. Merciful, pure in heart, a peacemaker, which means there's conflict. Persecuted, someone's against you for what you believe. And Jesus says, that's who's blessed. Now, this isn't a menu where you go, okay, I like that one. I'll do that one. Me, I can maybe live with that one. No, it's taken as a whole. And as Jesus talks about this, he uses this Greek word makarios, which is where we get the word macaroni and cheese from. It's a Greek word. Just kidding, it's not. It's not where we get it from, but that is goodness. Like, blessed are you if you're having macaroni and cheese, especially baked macaroni and cheese. I don't want to get off on a side trail here, so I'm going to leave that. But that's not what it means at all. Blessed. 
He used this word. And this is, this is basically how it's defined. Sometimes translators have translated it happy. It's Greek, they translate it to English and say happy. That's not really what it is. It's something more and it's something different. It really means to be fully satisfied. Even in those situations, to be fully satisfied. It, it means receiving God's favor. To be singularly favored. To be graciously approved by God. It, it, it really means anything that God gives that makes you fully satisfied in him, regardless of the circumstances. It's anything that draws you closer to Jesus. And, and so really what you could say is, I, my favorite translation of the word blessed, because that's what we say in English, but in the Greek it's makarios. I think it means it's to your advantage. It is to your advantage to be poor in spirit, to mourn, to be meek, to hunger and thirst for righteousness, to be merciful, to be pure in heart, to be peace, uh, peacemaker, and to be persecuted. It's to your advantage to be in that position. It won't feel like it. And this is precisely why you've got to understand what blessed means. This is why you've got to know what it means, Inigo Montoya. You need to understand. Because in that moment, you're going to doubt that you're blessed. More so, you're going to doubt that God is with you, or maybe he's turned his back on you, that you're not favored by him. But what he says is, no, 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 no. In this moment, there's a special thing happening between us. You're with me. And really, that word describes Jesus. That's who he, Jesus is. He became poor in spirit so he can become rich spiritually. He, he mourned the loss of a friend physically. He mourned over the condition of the crowds. He mourned over the condition of mankind that moved him from heaven to earth that we celebrate at Christmas. He was meek, humble. Not just in his relationship to others, but with his relationship to God. I only do what my heavenly father does. He was merciful. He was pure in heart. We're counting on that. He was a peacemaker between people and with us and God. And he was persecuted ultimately on a cross. And I'm glad he was. Because he did that for us. So we could be blessed. And so it's not surprising as Jesus is teaching this Sermon on the Mount. And he's saying, blessed are this, blessed are this, blessed are this. And he's taking people's concept of what it means to be blessed. And he's just messing it up. And he says, look, 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 look. It comes down to one thing. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all this will be added to you as well. What is all this? Everything you could possibly ever need. Everything you've ever absolutely needed is what he offers you. But it starts with seeking him, and really what he offers you is himself. Don't seek the blessing, seek the blesser, is our challenge throughout this series. And then Paul gives us an example of somebody who kind of helps us understand how this connection between us and seeking him first and his righteousness, that's a big word, basically means rightness or right standing with God. The, the longer I live, the more I'm very, very aware of kind of my past. Like I keep thinking, eventually I won't think about it anymore. And all of us have one. Some of us are a little more colorful and entertaining than others, but we all have one. I was having dinner with my son the other night, and I was trying to, we're, we're in a season where I'm trying to kind of connect with him on a few things, and I, I said, John, if, if, if current Doug could go back to John age Doug, fourth grade Doug, my name's Doug, by the way, if we haven't met, if I could, if future me, or current me could go back to, to old me, like younger me, and I could tell him some things, I would tell him there's some things I would do differently. And I just made this passing comment, because John, I made some bad choices when I was your age, and the next probably eight or nine years, and he goes, whoa, 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 whoa. 
What kind of bad choices? <laughs> oh, no! I mean, God forgives me, right? Like, that's what I'm counting on. But he, I remember. And what's so funny is I said, John, I'll tell you a few things. And he goes, hang on, let me get some popcorn. I'm like, where did he learn that from? We're at a restaurant. They don't serve popcorn. But that was just, let me get some popcorn. This is going to be interesting. It's like, oh, John. Here's the deal. I believe God forgives me. And I believe he forgets. He remembers my sin no more. We're going to look at that in a second. Why is it I still remember it? And, and as I go further along, you know what it does for me? It reminds me how much I need God. That it's never me that gets me in God's favor. It's God's favor in believing that he could redeem my life in spite of what I've done. That none of us, none of us, none of them, whoever them is in your world, are too far gone beyond the reach and the grace of God. And so Paul tells us this, and if you have your Bible, turn to Romans chapter 4, and Paul talks about how this right standing with God comes about, this transaction. And, and, if, and if you think, well, I, I know this, I've got this, please, please don't check out because this is so critical. Because you're going to, at times, forget, and God wants you to remember what he's done. And if you've ever felt like, man, I'm not sure I'm rightly related to God. I'm not sure if he hears my prayers. I'm not sure if at the end I've done enough. The good news is, you, bad news is you can't do enough. The good news, it's been done for you. But he tells us how all this comes about. If you ever have those moments where you remember and you happen to kind of say, hey man, I remember something from my past. And someone says, let me get some popcorn. This will be interesting. You know, it's terrible. I mourn that every day. Hey, blessed are those who mourn. Jesus said it. Here's what Paul says in Romans chapter 4, verse 1 and following. He says, what then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather according to the flesh. Now, Abraham is so when you read about it in the very first book of the Bible, Genesis. Genesis chapter 12, God makes this promise with him. He goes, I, will, I want you to go. Leave everything you know. Do you trust me, Abraham? Yes. Okay, I want you to go. Boy, that's when you really know if you trust God or not. When you do what he says, no matter what, not, sharing what all, not sure what all the details are. And he says, I want you to go. Where? You'll see. Okay. I want you to leave everything you know and everybody you know and leave a place where you're secure and prominent. I want you to go someplace different. And by the way, it's going to get a little bit rough, but trust me. Every day, God's trying to build trust. He'll do it with you too. And he says, but here's my promise. You'll be blessed. And all people will be blessed through you. It's Genesis chapter 12. And Abraham is this amazing story he's worth reading about. Here's what he discovered. He asked, what did he discover in this matter? If, in fact, Abraham was justified by works, by what he did. Abraham is in the faith hall of fame. Hebrews 11, you could read like this list of, like he's there in the Bible. I mean, he's mentioned. As a matter of fact, beyond the Christian faith, Abraham is known and, and he's identified as this key figure in history. It wasn't that he was so good that he got on God's radar. He wasn't justified or made right by what he did. He had Because if he had, he'd have something to boast about. But not before God. What does scripture say? And he tells us, this is Genesis 15, verses 1 and following, 1 through 6. You could read that. Abraham believed God. He trusted God, no matter what. And it was credited to him as righteousness. He got credit for something that he didn't do. He got credit for something that God would do. He just 
One thing Abraham did was he trusted God. So much so that he would do whatever he said. But it's not what he did that got him justified. It was his trust by faith. And if that's confusing, just listen to this. Verse 4. Now to the one who works, the one who goes, I'm going to do my best to create a resume that helps me get God's favor, attention, or affection. The one who works for that, trying to get any of those things, he says, they're not credited as a gift, but as an obligation. If your faith ever feels an obligation, you're missing it. Something's off. It's, It's off. However, to the one who does not work, but trust God, what's the one thing he's trying to do every day in your life to get you to trust him? The one who does that. Who, but trust God who justifies the ungodly. That's what God's role is. Their faith, your faith, is credited as righteousness. It's as if your bank account is empty, maybe even overdrawn. And you're going, I'm not sure what I'm going to do. And you're so nervous that you've got an app on your phone where you check your bank account and you keep thinking, I hope there's not another transaction coming because I'm already overdrawn and you're nervous. And all of a sudden you pull it up one day and you look at it and suddenly your bank account is quite full. That somebody came in and said, hey, I I worked really hard and I'm giving my salary to you and now it's yours. I'm crediting it to you. Or it's as if you play a sport and suddenly, my son was playing basketball yesterday, he makes a basket. If, they, if somebody else made the basket and they credit it to him when he didn't make it, that's what's happening here. God is just raining threes down. He is, I mean, whatever your sport is, he's crossing the goal line. He's, I don't know what it would in theater be. He's, doing, he's winning an Emmy. And that's Tony. I should know that. Like, whatever it is, like, someone's doing a great performance, and then when the end, when they get the reward, financial trophies, recognition, it's credited to somebody else. That's what God does for you. He's the one who does it, but it gets credited to you as if it's yours. That's what he promises. And that's why we know I can trust God no matter what, because of what he does for me. Who does that? Who works really hard and they go, hey, we're going to give you a bonus. Ah, give it to somebody else. Uh, I deserve it. It's not that I don't deserve it. I actually deserve it. I want them to have it. I saw, there was a, I can't even remember who it was, an NFL player. Uh, it was, I think it was Deshaun Watson who took his first paycheck as an NFL player and gave it to the ladies who work in the cafeteria because they had lost a lot because of the hurricane. I earned it, but I want to credit it to them because of their great need. This is what God does for us. Do we deserve it? No, and the minute we understand that, that's when the transaction really means something. This isn't just Abraham and Paul that said this. He quotes David. King David in the Old Testament wrote a bunch of the Psalms with David and Goliath. Somebody might have said Bathsheba because, again, David's resume is good, but it's not great. There's some popcorn to be had. Like, let's, hey, let's read this here. Like, David, a man after God's own heart, who sometimes have some things that we're hoping our kids' classes, excuse me, small groups, aren't teaching. I want them to hear about David and Goliath. Please don't talk about David and Bathsheba yet. Save that for high school, maybe college, whatever. So David says the same thing when he speaks of blessedness, makarios, blessedness of the one to whom God credits righteousness apart from works. That could be Abraham. If we want to know how Abraham's transaction works, David says this is how it works. Blessed are those whose transgressions are forgiven whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord will never count against them. He said, that's who's blessed. 
Do you know of the 50 times Macarius is used in the New Testament, never attached to material prosperity? How we get this prosperity gospel that if you do good, God will give you good back. That's karma. That's not grace. And if you think getting the signing bonus, the big paycheck, the, the cash payout that's so big, it's a novelty size check like a pro golfer would get when they win a tournament. If you think that is being blessed and this isn't, you're using the wrong currency. And your currency will run out when this life runs out. But his currency is good for this life and the next. This transaction is so important. And he quotes David here, and so this is actually how David said it in Psalm 34. He said, blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not account account against them. Like that's what Paul said, he's quoting it. So here it is in both places. This is not just a Jesus thing. This was a New Testament thing. It's an Old Testament thing. This is a God thing. This is what he wants for all people. He wants this for you. The problem is, I still count it against me. I, rem- I know what I've done. I believe that God doesn't count it against me, but, but I still do. But here's what I'm counting on. I can count on God to not count my sin against me. It's there, and it's not in the fine print. It's there quite often that he's not going to count my sin against me. This is what he chooses to do. So why do I still count it against me? Why do I still live as one who that's still on my permanent record? Because for many times, things are still on our permanent record. People remember what we've done. We remember what we've done. And so we counted against this, but God says, look, I do not count your sin against you. But here's why I'm glad I remember. It reminds me how much I need him. It reminds me of how much he's done for me. And he does not count my sin against me. And if he doesn't count it, why do I? If every day I live believing that he doesn't count it against me, and neither should I, that I am one who lives forgiven, here's what Abraham did that's so important. Verse uh, uh, 20. Through 22. In his belief of this, in his faith, his trust with God, trust of God would do what he said he would do, including not count a sin against him, including lead him his whole life, include promise him that he would fulfill his promises to him. He did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God. Now, this is not saying that if you ever waver, if you ever doubt, that God comes in and says, deal's off. That's karma. God operates with grace. He's not looking for you to fail. He's looking for you to be redeemed. Just as a side note, if you ever struggle with doubts, doubt doesn't have to be toxic to your faith. As a matter of fact, one of the things we say a lot, especially in student ministry and with college students, is doubt is not toxic to your faith. Unexpressed doubt is. Do you know how Jesus dealt with doubters? He had meals with them. 
He listened to them. He talked to them and he pointed them to himself and said, look, I can give you a reason not to doubt. It's not a blind faith. It's a thinking faith. But deal with your doubts, especially if your doubt centers on whether or not you're forgiven. Because if you live as someone who is unforgiven, you're living in a false identity. He did not waver regarding unbelief, regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith. What is God doing every day in your life? He's trying to build your trust, build your faith. And he wants you to participate in that. And as a matter of fact, I would think, ask you to think about the habits you have on a regular basis during the week, the things you think about, the things you do, the people you're around. Is this building your faith or is it tearing it down? Like we said with that anxiety and worry and fear. There's constructive worry. It can build your faith and your trust. It can build you up or it can tear you down. It crosses a line. Worry is, is concern that crosses the line from unhealthy to healthy, constructive to destructive. Think about who you're around, what you're around, what you're doing during the week. Is it strengthening your faith? And then this other phrase, and gave glory to God. That's what Abraham did. He recognized in the, at the center of the universe is God. At the center of the story is God. It includes us, but he's at the center. It's seeking him first. Not to get my way, not to impose my will, but to submit to his. Seeking him first. He was, Abraham was fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. This is why, and he quotes the verse again, it was credited to him as righteousness. He comes coming back to this transaction that something is credited to Abraham that Abraham did not earn, deserve, or, or take care of on his own. He did not waver. It was what we said in week one of blessed. blessed. It's patient endurance. This is how you get in to a right standing with God and how you go on. You live trusting him. Verse 23, the words, it was credited to him, he's referencing it again, were written not for him alone. This is the good news for you. This was not written for him alone. It was written for you as well. What God was doing at the very beginning with Abraham was saying, down, the, down throughout the history of this world, people, and it will come along, that have done unspeakable things. Includes them. It'll include people in all parts of the world. It includes them. It's not just for him. It's also for us, to whom God will credit righteousness, right standing with God. For us who believe in him, and here's what we believe, Believe in him who raised Jesus, our Lord, from the dead. This was so important to the earliest followers of Jesus. They didn't spend a lot of time talking about the Sermon on the Mount. You know, Jesus said, blessed are the meek, blessed are the poor in spirit. They didn't, you don't see them talking about that a lot in Acts, where the early church is going out. You want to hear them talking about a lot? Jesus was raised from the dead. That was critically important to them. For two reasons. One, our righteousness comes from being rightly related to Jesus. That's what it means to, be, to have a right, the righteousness of Jesus, all the goodness of who he is, his perfect record, credited to you to where you now have the perfect record. That happens because of Jesus. That's where it comes from. So if Jesus is not raised from the dead, he doesn't have that much to offer. 
This is why the resurrection of Jesus is so important. We can know that the righteousness of Jesus is for real because of the resurrection. Jesus is more than just a martyr. This is God with us, what we celebrate in this Christmas season, that the God of the universe stepped into humanity to fully understand, to have empathy, to put himself in your shoes, to understand what it's like to walk in your shoes and then die for all of us. But if he had just died, he's a great religious leader. He had a great heart, but it wasn't pure. The righteousness of Jesus is credited to us because of Jesus. And we know Jesus is real because he was raised from the dead. So the critical question it comes down to is, who is Jesus? And I know you're at a church on Sunday, you're probably already convinced, but I just think that's a question you can't ever fully get away from. To understand who Jesus is. Uh, One of my favorite bands ever since I was uh, a junior in high school, or sophomore in high school, is the band U2. I've always been a fan of theirs and Fortunately, they kind of keep putting out albums. they got another one coming out in December. And, and uh, Years ago, Jennifer and I were at Best Buy, and just on the end cap, I didn't know Best Buy sold books. I thought they sold Kindles, but they had a book on the end cap. I, you remember these? Are, they actually had paper, and you picked it up and read a book. They had those, and it was his picture on the cover, and it was just called Bono, A Conversation with Mika Asayas. And I thought, well, that sounds interesting. So I picked it up and took it home and started reading it. And there's this chapter, and I couldn't believe it. He says this. It's a mind-blowing concept that the God who created the universe might be looking for company, a real relationship with people. But the thing that keeps me on my knees is the difference between grace and karma. You see, at the center of all religions is the idea of karma. You know, what you put out comes back to you, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, or in physics and physical laws, every action is met by an equal or opposite one. It's clear to me that karma is at the very heart of the universe. I'm absolutely sure of it. And yet, along comes this idea called grace, to upend all that as you reap, so you will sow stuff. Grace defies reason and logic. Love interrupts, if you like, the consequences of your actions, which in my case is very good news. Indeed, because I've done a lot of stupid stuff. But that's between me and God. I'd be in big trouble if karma was going to be my judge. I'd be in deep, deep trouble. It doesn't excuse my mistakes, but I'm holding out for grace. I'm holding out that Jesus took my sins onto the cross because I know who I am and I hope I don't have to depend on my own religiosity. The point of the death of Christ is that Christ took the sins of the world so that what we put out, out did not come back to us and that our sinful nature does not reap that obvious death. That's the point. It should keep us humbled. It's not our own good works that get through the gates of heaven. If only we could be a bit more like him, the world would be transformed. All I do is get up on the cross of the ego, the bad hangover, the bad review. When I look at the cross of Christ, what I see up there is my mess and everybody else's. So I ask myself the question a lot of people have asked, who is this man? And and was he who he says he was, or was he just a religious nut? And there it is. That's the question. No one can talk you into it, We're out of it. And I think he's right. This whole idea of grace versus karma. I'm glad it's not dependent on what I put out there. And the minute I realize how much I need him, that's where God can really get to work in our lives. And he doesn't want to say, I want you to remember what you've done so I can rub your nose in it. Or so you walk out with a weight on your shoulders. What he's saying is, I want you to remember so I can lift that weight. 
Because the truth is, I've taken care of it. You're living on ramen noodles and coupons, but I've made you rich spiritually. You've got the novelty-sized check of all payouts from God. So what do you do with this? Well, Abraham did this, and Paul pointed to it. As a matter of fact, everybody who you see in the Bible that gets rightly related to Jesus, everyone you see throughout history who gets rightly related to God because of the righteousness of Jesus that's credited to them, it all starts with believe. You believe and receive this gift of grace by faith. You accept the transaction. You say, yeah, that's what I want. And then you live as one who's forgiven, and you forgive others as you've been forgiven. And you live as someone that that's now your identity. Even when you remember, you don't say, that's who I am. You go, that's who I was. That's what Paul did. That's who I was. That's who I was. That's who I was. It's not who you are. You're not defined by what you have done, but what has been done for you because of Jesus. And then when you accept that transaction, you live out your faith and you go public with your faith. One of the ways he asked us to do that was through water baptism. We're doing that on December 10th. And there's a slide up here and you can go to the Live Oak app or the website. And you can say, you know what, I've never taken that step. And I want to give you two reasons why you should do it. We don't do it, we do it between services, right up here. It's very simple, but we, if you're not being baptized, I encourage you to come and celebrate those who are. It's between services. For you guys, you'd stay a little bit later. And, and the reason you should do this if you have never taken that step is this. Jesus asked you to do it. He said, this, I want you to follow me. Do you trust me? Yes. Okay, I want you to be baptized. Oh, I don't know about that. No, no, okay. I'm not asking you to go to a faraway land like Abraham. I'm asking you to come get in a horse trough and let someone dunk you underwater. And I promise you, they'll let you back up. We've always let people back up when we dunk them. I promise you. We've always done that. that. That's like a first step of saying yes to Jesus. And it's a first opportunity to say, I'm going to go public with my faith. It's like a press conference of saying, I've signed with a new team. You know, in that press conference where they hold up a jersey and they kind of go like that and say, oh, you're now a you know, Dallas Cowboy or whatever it is, you, whoever it is you cheer for, if you're ungodly, you know, the Dallas Cowboys if you're, if you're a follower of Jesus. But, you know, you get the idea. And if you're not a Cowboys fan, please don't let that ruin your theology. But you get, you get what I'm saying. But it, it, it's, it's an outward expression. When someone holds with the jersey and says, I'm now part of this team, that's not what makes the transaction good. They've already signed something. Agents and lawyers have already done something. It's a done deal. This is just going public saying, hey, I'm now part of this team. And for some of you, it's time to say I'm part of this team. And what, what I've experienced personally is when people are un, unwilling to identify in, in a setting like this with people who cheer for them and celebrate with them and kind of understand what they're doing, it's, uh, if you don't do it here, you're not likely to do it there. And Jesus says, do, do you trust me? Take the step. And for those of us that have kids or family members, like you might be the one that takes the step that makes it possible for somebody else to take the step. Or maybe it's not even your own family. But that's a key part of it. And when you're a follower of Jesus and you're forgiven, that it's been credited to you as righteousness, just the same way Abraham, think about this, Abraham had the exact same transaction that he wants you to have. God wants you to have. Then you live as one who's forgiven and you, you forgive yourself, you forgive others, you extend it. And you don't want anybody to miss out on this. But we have a tendency to forget. We, for, we remember what we've done, but we forget what's been done for us sometimes. And so Jesus was really wise. And he said, I'm going to set up this meal. And this is how we're going to close today. Instead of doing a closing prayer, 
we're going to do closing communion and prayer. Because Jesus was really wise. He said, I, at, he took this meal to Passover and said, hey, to his disciples, hey, I know since you've been a kid, we've been celebrating the Passover, the Passover lamb who rescued uh, you know, the, 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 the slaves in, in Israel and delivered them from the Egypts, uh, excuse me, <laughs> the slaves uh, of, of the Israelite slaves and delivered them from Egypt. I, I, I want to... That's what it's always been about. Ever since we were a kid, we've always celebrated this meal on similar elements. All of a sudden, they get together right before he's crucified. He goes, hey, this meal is now going to mean something completely different. Now it's all going to be about me and my sacrifice. And again, they don't know about the cross yet. They don't know about what's coming. It's about to. That, that'd be like if, if this year at Christmas, I said, hey, Christmas Eve, we're doing three services. Christmas Eve morning, be candlelight. It's going to be great. And what we're doing is instead of celebrating Jesus' birth, we're going to celebrate my birth. You think I was nuts. So the deal is, who is Jesus? Is he a nut or is he who he says he is? Because he said, now the Passover is all about me and I am the sacrificial lamb. The once and for all sacrifice for the sins of all humanity. Do, do you trust me? Do you believe that? And he talked with his disciples and he did this meal and, and he says, I want my followers to always do this. To remember what I've done for them. And so he said, I, 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 and when you get the elements... Um, you guys can come hand them out now. The people serving would do that. Take it. There's two cups there. Take them both. The bottom one is the bread. Top one is the cup. We're not mixing them together. Just, uh, he said, I wanted this bread to, to remember it was my real body on the cross given for you. And it's really my blood shed for you. And you're remembering this transaction that he made possible. And if you're a believer, a follower of Jesus, he wants you to do this. If you're not a follower of Jesus... This isn't your step into getting his favor or getting participating. Your first step is to say, I accept the transaction. Jesus, I admit, I'm a mess and I need you. I'm glad I don't get what I deserve. I want what you have to offer. Forgiveness, grace, mercy, given at the cross. That it was your body and your blood shed for me. Here's the transaction Paul said it elsewhere. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let me ask, do you know that? Do you understand that it's by grace you're saved? By faith, not by works, not by what you do, but by what has been done for you. That though he was rich, yet for your sake, because of you, he became poor. Jesus, Philippians 2.5 talks about it great. It describes Jesus releasing his privilege of everything he has as God. To step into humanity. To take on the sin of the world. And I know what my sin does to me. Just the junk and the the shame. I can't imagine having all of it credited to my account. But that's what Jesus did. He went to everybody and everybody in history and he said, their sin and their sin and their sin and their sin and their sin. Just credit, put it on my tab. Give it to me. Give it to me. Give it to me. And then what he asks you to do now is, to say, is actually to give it to him. God, the transaction's done. It's yours. It's not mine. I'm not taking it back. It's yours. He became poor so that through his poverty might become rich. This is what he wants for you. He wants you to be blessed. And it's not about dollars in a bank account. It's about eternal destiny. And it's not a where. It's a who. Who eternity is with. What he wants is to be rightly related to you. When you have relationships that aren't working right, it just doesn't feel good, does it? It's true with God too. He says, I want us to be rightly related and I've done everything possible to make it possible to remember that you can trust and believe 
I will not count your sin against you. It does not count against you. Whatever it is, that if you're sitting across the table from somebody and you said, let me tell you a little bit about my past, you'd never tell that story, that doesn't count against you. If you apply grace, forgiveness of Jesus to your life, it does not count against you. And anything or anyone that tells you differently is lying. He said, I am the way and the truth and the life. And this is what I've made possible for you. Does everybody have the elements? Anyone not have it? So on the night he was betrayed, think about that, Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, when one of his own turned on him, and he knew it was coming, but how hard must that have been? To invest in someone for three years and have this relationship, and you're not rightly related, that he goes and he sells you out. And Jesus knew it was coming. We know that because he said, in just a little while, I'm going to be handed over, and he knew his body was about to get beat up, something fierce. He knew it was going to hurt. He knew that it would cost him everything. But he said, I'll do that. If we can credit something to them, I'll do it. So on the night he was betrayed, he took the bread and he gave, gave thanks. And he said, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. The same way he took the cup after dinner. And again, he's taking this meal they've done so many times and he's repurposing it. He's making it about himself. Because he goes, everything that's ever happened in humanity, the messiness, the brokenness, the seeking self rather than seeking God, the seeking self versus serving others, all this stuff, what's wrong with the world, put it all on my account and I'll pay for it with the precious pure blood, purely righteousness. He did not deserve this. He said, I'll do it. So he said, every time you do this, do this in remembrance of me. Abraham knew something, and it was the secret to his life. Paul knew something, and it was the secret to his life. supposed to be a secret but if you don't understand that blessedness means rightly related to the blessed one Jesus you're chasing blessings your whole life and it's elusive but Jesus is not and he paid the price so you could be rightly related to God that is what it means to be blessed let's pray together Heavenly Father thank you for your great love expressed not just in, in, in words but in action that the person of Jesus we celebrate at Christmas that he was born and at Easter we celebrate that he rose again we're counting on that and if we can count on that then we can count on you not to hold our sin against us that's what you've said your agenda is in our life to not count it against us and to build this trust rightly related relationship with you where every day we can get up saying I can trust God no matter what I can say yes to him for forgiveness and for his plan because he is faithful. Father, thank you that you have a track record of faithfulness. That's why we count our blessings to remember that we can always count on God. There's a lot to count that reminds us that we can always count on you. Thank you for that. Help us to take our next step this week. Maybe it's saying yes to a relationship with you. 
Maybe it's saying yes to baptism. Maybe it's saying yes to not holding something against us that we've done. Maybe it's saying yes to forgiving somebody who's wronged us. Father, we trust you to follow you enough to take our next steps, even if we don't understand the why. We trust you. We trust you no matter what. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Hey, next week we're going to continue with Blessed. And actually, Clay will be teaching. And have you ever heard somebody say, bless the Lord? It's in the Bible. What does that mean? What do you give the guy who's got everything? How do you bless the Lord, right? What does that mean? I think it's incredibly important. Clay's going to talk about it next week. We're going to, and then the next week over Thanksgiving, I'll be closing out blessed by talking about something that's very key to experiencing God's blessing in community. And if baptism is your next step, make sure you go to the app or the website to the sign-up page or come talk to me after the service or use a connection card. Thanks for being here. Have a great weekend. You would hear hope They wouldn't let go And if I told you my story